Hi, ciao, this is Giuseppe Camuncoli, a.k.a. Camo from Italy, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk. Boy, it's been a little while. My name is Dan Gavazin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Well, it's really only been a week off, Dan. Don't make it sound like uh, we've been gone for like years and years here. I mean, you know, they don't, the people behind the curtain don't need to know, or I should say they don't, the people out there don't need to know behind the curtain how long it's been since we recorded. It's true. It's true. It's been three weeks. Uh, Well... (laughs) Uh, meanwhile, the, the the voice you're hearing is Mark Giannacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on my own lines there. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for the Amazing Grace episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. I am running out of ways to alter that numbering process. We hope a, you- can we, you know, why don't we call it the Point 0.1 episode? Yeah, I guess we could. It's the point one episode. Uh, but this is a volume four. Let's be specific because it's not learning to crawl. Right. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yes. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And I think we're off to a good start already. Mark, what are we doing today? Yeah, well, uh, as the Amazing Grace or Point One episode title indicates, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, number 1.1 through 1.6. That's six issues we're discussing by writer Jose Molina and artist Simone Bianchi, Raymond Bermuda. I can't. Dan, help me out here. I think it's Bermudez. Bermudez and Andrea Bricardo. That sounds right. I think you got it. I think you got it. All right. Wow. We're really sounding professional today, Dan. Then we'll be responding to your comments and emails, discussing all the spider news that's fit to print, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mark, we've intentionally held off on reviewing these issues until the story was complete. What do you say that we head off to a confessional and reveal the truth about our feelings on Amazing Spider-Man's Amazing Grace? That's me. All right, Dan. So um, we we held off on this. Was it worth the wait? Um, we held off so, quite a while. I mean, for six issues coming out, it's been what, like six months at least? At no, least, more, well, probably more. 
Well, I was just say, yeah, the the release schedule on this book really didn't do it any favors. Um, that's for sure. I think the first issue of this probably came out around November, um, because they even kind of made some Christmas allusions to it in the story. Um, but you know, this became. I mean, the the last issue of this came out about a week ago. Um, so um, there you go, Marvel scheduling. You you would think. You know, for something that kind of reads like an inventory story, this would be in the bank for a long time, but I guess not. Um, I'm definitely under the impression you, you you didn't care for this story too much, Dan. I did not. I don't think uh, it's I don't think it's like a trash fire. Like it uh, it is it has some interesting ideas in it that I think will be fun to discuss with you. But you know, it it, it you're right. It seems like an inventory story and. You know, judging by the letters page in the final issue, uh, where the writer uh, Jose Molina uh, basically admits that this is the first comic he's ever written, um, which is fine. You know, he, he's written episodes of Agents of Shield, but um, you know, I, I think there are some things in this book that really kind of make the kind of newness of this writer uh, somewhat apparent. Uh, what about you, Mark? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to go around and pretend that this was great, but, um, you know, for what it's worth, when this, when this was coming out issue by issue, I, I, I actually, I found it to be a real slog. Um, but for whatever it's worth, um, kind of in, in anticipation for this show, um, I just read through all six issues in succession and it reads a little more tightly for lack of a better word, when you kind of read it, I guess, as a collection versus as individual issues, if that makes sense. Um, I don't think it saves it from being a subpar story, but like some of the, the, the jerky herky jerkiness of the narrative and, and you kind of get the gloss over it because you're not going a month to six weeks to longer in some instances between issues that kind of like completely truncate the flow of the narrative. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and I actually reread it again today, and I agree with you to a certain extent about that. I mean, it's certainly easier to follow, like, names and, like, uh, concepts and, and all of this stuff. Um, and I thought the beginning of the story, you know, like, uh, you know, coming out of the end, which I didn't really like, I found the beginning to actually be quite refreshing upon revisiting it. Um, and so... You know that was nice. So I mean, I, I think it's an uneven story, and um, but yes, I do agree with you that it is easier to read in one setting than than going issue by issue with two yeah. months in between. Yeah, I mean, with that said, too, um, you know, I think in your in your review of the final issue, you you made a comment about it being over the story itself being overly long, and I, I agree. This is not a six. This there's not enough juice here for a six issue series. This is like. A three, four issue arc tops. I don't know why. I mean, and a lot of these point one sidebar series have only been five issues. So I don't know why Marvel felt compelled to make this six anyway. I don't know if that was something contractually with Jose or what, but um, way, way too long, way too long. Well, I, I don't even know if it was planned to have six because, you know, you have the first five issues with Simone Bianchi's art on the covers and the sixth one is is just kind of an inventory piece of artwork from Giuseppe Comancoli, you know, just a Spider-Man leaping through the city. I mean, it could have been pulled from almost anywhere, you know, like any kind of variant cover, 
You know, and I wonder if it was planned to be, you know, six in, in the you know initially, or if they just felt the story was ballooning and they had to add a sixth one on to kind of get it all done. But yeah, I agree, it's way too long. I mean, I could see you doing this story in even an issue or two, you know, yeah. if you needed to. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking with the modern sensibilities, though, nothing's an issue anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Which is unfor- which is unfortunate. Um, so here's the other million dollar question, Dan, and, and I don't have an answer for this. I don't know if you will either, but I mean, w- this, this, we, this story talks about some interesting stuff, which we'll get to in a moment, but I, you know, like what was the point of this series at this point in time? Like, like what, what, what do you think Marvel was trying to achieve? I mean, with the, with the last few of these point one series, it was like, okay, learning to crawl, you know, they're rebooting Spider-Man for volume three to kind of have this like, and you know, also was coinciding with the movie. So to kind of have something that was like almost like a secondary origin story, I get that, uh, with spiral. I mean, it was kind of tying into some of the street level stuff, uh, that was going on in the background, uh, you know, that because of spider verse and other stories really wasn't being focused on in the main book, but this is like, you know, we're dealing with characters we don't normally associate. We're dealing with themes we don't normally associate with Spider-Man, venues and locales. Um, you know, we we touch upon the fact that he's Peter at Parker Industries, but that really doesn't play a, a key role in this. What was the point of this, do you think? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, like, themes. The biggest one here being religion and, I guess, kind of, like, the, the concept of faith and, and Peter's relationship to it. And I think that that's certainly in, stronger in the first half than it is in the second half of this story. And that, perhaps that's what was the point of this issue is to explore Peter's, uh, I guess, faith and, and his relationship to religion. Uh, perhaps when it was originally planned to kind of come out earlier in the year and, and tie into Christmas and all that. But I don't know. I mean, I think I think this question kind of lays bare my main like critique of this issue is that just it feels so editorially hands off especially for a guy who said it's his first comic there's just so many things here that like it feels like the editor is asleep at the wheel i know we've been really like critical on nick Lowe in in, in the past and I, and I hate to be so critical on like one person because i i don't know who is doing what but when things like, you know, the I – mean, I guess it's a simple mistake like the Puerto Rican flag showing up in Cuba. Um, but then there's bigger things like Uncle Ben's death being uh, like factually like presented incorrectly that like make me wonder if an editor read this. And, and that feeds into your question, which is like what was the point of this? I almost wonder if there was even thought put towards – that I don't know. It just feels like such an inventory story, a way to like make money by releasing a book alongside the release of a number one. Um, I don't know. Is that is that too harsh? No, I, I I don't think that because I mean that's kind of the conclusion I come to when 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 I raise that question about what was the point. I mean, like again, like this says some interesting stuff, but I I don't I don't. In the context of what's going on in Spider-Man, I don't understand why now we're talking about Peter's faith. Like this is something that has never really been something pertinent to Spider-Man. I mean, there's 
you know, the one, the only time I feel like his religion has really ever been brought up, and I'm sure it's been brought up in little bits and pieces over the years, but like something that stands out to me was <clears throat> the um, the Infinity Crusade miniseries from the '90s, which was like that run of Infinity stories, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the, the the heroes in that story are split into two camps: those who have faith to get like co-opted and turned into zombies by the villain in that story and then those who are like men of science and discovery and peter or spider-man is like in the religion group which kind of threw me because i was like he's a he you know he's a man of science like why isn't he with like reed and tony who are like you know we can't be manipulated by by a deity you know we're we're men of science you know what i mean (laughs) like it was like a very, I thought, strange choice to to put him there. And then someone's like, well, you know, because of the power and responsibility. I'm like, but that's not a religion. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, speaking of Spider-Man's religion, I mean, it's kind of been inconsistent throughout the books. I mean, you mentioned that one. But then there's like Marvel Knight Spider-Man number 14 where this kind of like Superman stand-in pulls Peter into the closet and like has him praying with him. And Peter expresses how uncomfortable that makes him and how, like, he's never really prayed before. You know, to me, like, I think I think it's established that Peter's family is, like, Protestant um, and they celebrate holidays. But they're kind of like a lapsed yeah. Christians, you know? They just kind of go to church for holidays, maybe. <laughs> they're like most New Yorkers I know. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and so... Yeah, it is It is interesting here because I think in this book, he's like kind of flat out presented as kind of like an atheist. A- a- am I wrong? No, it's, that's, that's very true. And, you know, again, talking about the timing, like I could see if the way this story was framed was almost like, oh, look, you know, Peter, he's the head of Parker Industries now. He's this billionaire, you know, how let's see how money and corporate stuff has changed him personally uh including his faith but that's not what this is like that not not in the least so it's like again why are we doing this now like like this this has nothing to do with the new status quo and it has nothing to do with anything that we've really ever talked about in spider-man comics at length they try to do a little bit of what you're talking about like early on in the series it's hinted that like julio the villain who is Probably the most forgettable villain I've ever read. Uh, can't even bother to get a costume or a code name. Uh, yeah, he's so forgettable. Regents like, dude, you're forgettable. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but like early on, he it suggested that he like went to Cuba to like you know uh, get powers or whatever so that he could get revenge on Parker Industries because he applied for the Uncle Ben foundation and he had cancer and was turned down and like it's immediately forgotten but there's an interesting point there like being made that like peter has gotten so big and so high-minded that he's forgot about the little guy but like even i don't even even buy that because like the fact that he has the uncle ben foundation means that like you know he is trying but what what is he responsible for every schmo who has a problem on earth you know, right. I, yeah, I I never bought that, and and neither, and the story didn't really seem to buy that either because I quickly forgot it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like ah, never mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and 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 like you said, I mean, like it's outside of that one plot point, it's not like they really established like Peter as a character was changing. I mean, 
you know, and, and, and I don't mean this as a slight to the main book, but like, you know, you know, we, we talk about the inconsistency of characterization a lot in the main book, but the fact of the matter is like there, there, there at least has been some inroads into, Oh, you know, Peter has changed a bit, you know, like there, like, I feel like that point has been made and has been established. Right. I mean, and, and that's not so here in the point one series. I'm going to reluctantly agree with you. I don't know that I totally agree. I mean, I think it's been a hit, but it's very inconsistent. Inconsistent. Yes. I'm not, again, I'm not, not trying to lavish praise on it, but, um, (laughs) Oh, Mark, don't break your back. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Um, now I, I hope I'm not being too positive about things and I don't want to be accused of, you know, trying to dig out the silver linings here, but, there were some things that were okay about this book. Like I, I actually, when Spider-Man was on the page and doing Spider-Man stuff, I thought like the, um, the characterization there, the quips and all that were pretty good. Right. Am I overstating that? No, I, I agree with you. There, there are a couple things that I like, you know, that stand out for me. Like, uh, there's a, there's a moment where he snatches up this, like, I guess, uh, low life from the streets of New York and dangles him off of, uh, like window washing, you know, uh, I guess equipment. And, uh, and the guy says, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, are you angry? And, and it's like Spider-Man's face split down the middle and it says, uh, you know, this is my angry face or whatever. And it's just the flat mask. And I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, And I like, like, you know, his interaction with the Santorians where he's like giving them all nicknames and stuff like that. Like there were some funny moments in this book. Like that's not too much of a reach, I don't think. No, no. I mean, there's definitely I think definitely towards the beginning, it was a lot quippier and and Peter had a stronger like presence of character. I, I liked when he went and visited Cuba with the Puerto Rican flag um, <laughs> because you really got a sense of that. Uh, environment from the writing and the artwork it felt really dense and yeah at times it felt like I was reading a textbook or like a travel brochure for Cuba right. um, or like a hey do, do you want to learn about what's going on in Cuba right now well great you know and uh, I, I, but I like that you know it, it definitely um, leaned into the international Peter Parker thing a little bit in a way that like I felt feel like the main book hasn't where you know these locations might as well just be like different, you know, backdrop, the green screen backdrops, uh, like this Cuba felt like a real place, uh, up, up to a certain point. I think up until Peter finds like a steel man that's full of crabs that attack him. I was like totally on board. And then uncle Ben appears. Yes, of course. Uncle Ben. Oh, we're going to get to talking about that. Yeah. I mean, you want to just jump right in? Cause that was strange. I mean, I, I don't even know what to do with that because yeah. he shows up twice and each time was kind of bewildering. Are we meant to think it's actually uncle Ben? I mean, that's why I don't know. And that's, that's my biggest problem with so much of this book is I don't know what I meant to take away from a lot of things like Julio. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this character or who he is. And uncle Ben, like he doesn't read like uncle Ben, but he keeps asserting that he's uncle Ben. And then he like randomly comes back during the final battle and, like, 
we get the sense that like he was actually there, but even then, what does that mean? Because he still doesn't sound like Uncle Ben. I don't right. know. Yeah, no, it's 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 right. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was just a big question. I think I think in my reviews, every time I brought up Uncle Ben, I put a question mark next to his name because I just didn't know what to make of this character. <laughs> It, 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 it was a bizarre turn, that's for certain. And um, the Santorians in this... Um, the who? The, the Santorians, yeah, exactly. They're there, I guess. I, you, you know, and, and like Peter is kind of like acting like all like defiant about these guys and where they derive their powers from and stuff. And, and you know, this one, you know, I'm not usually one to get all high and mighty over continuity stuff but it's like you know this is a guy who's had like adventures with dr strange and stuff like that like come on like him seeing something of a more mystical nature is not is not unusual let's 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 cut the crap here you know what i mean like that that's just forcing this issue again of this theme that the creators here just felt compelled to make for whatever reason about peter's Faith or faithlessness, I guess you would say. Um, I didn't get that. Like, you know, like, can we can we at least pretend that there aren't like 50 plus years of stories that preceded this? <laughs> now, speaking of older stories, Mark, did you read uh, the Santorians, I guess, debut and only appearance prior to this in Daredevil Father? No. It's like a very controversial book that kind of like has Daredevil – uh, like running into the man that he saved uh, from the truck that blinded him. Um, and it kind of retcons a lot of it, – it's kind of like one more day but for, uh, but for Daredevil fans. You know, like it, it's a very controversial book and a lot of people don't consider it canon. Yeah. Um, I thought that was Shadowland. <laughs> well, that too. That too. Uh, that just quickly got swept under the rug as well. But um, uh, that I think you could, you know, it had more build up. So this thing is is like literally like a graphic novel that was published independently of any story going on. Um, but the Santorians show up in that, and that's their first appearance. And they literally, if you remove them from that script. You would not miss a thing. Like it's definitely Joe Casada adding in this kind of like Cuban flavor to the book to kind of get create his own, you know, like uh, superhero team. Uh, and here I felt kind of the same way. Like if you remove them from this, I don't know how much you would lose. And like it's not that you could discern any one of them. They're kind of like the worst in like '90s comic book designs. Like hugely over-designed characters that show up, like, all of a sudden and, like, just have these names that don't make any sense. And Spider-Man kind of makes fun of it here. But, like, did you get a sense of en- who any of these characters were through this story? Are we no. ever going to see them again? No, no and no. And, and yeah, I mean, they're basically just serving as vessels to get to that end sequence, which... Again, I, I do think there was something interesting to that, and we can talk about it in a minute. But like, yeah, but but other than that, they're they're not they don't have a story, you know. Like, there's nothing there's nothing to latch onto here. They're just there. Um, they're there to service the plot when it needs to be serviced, and you know my take on that. 
On that theory. Um, you mean you didn't love the scenes with them chasing chickens and dogs in, in a coop? No, no. But at least, like, you know, in, in, in tr- staying true to form with the Puerto Rican flag at, at, in Cuba, they didn't, like, play, like, hello, or uh, what's new Buenos Aires in the background or something like that, you know? Yeah, right. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. So, uh, so we didn't like, really, those elements. And then I guess the big one for me is this, this character of Julio. What did you right. make of this guy? He's a guy. His name's Julio. He seemed pretty angry at the world. Yeah, I don't know. Like he's pretty, pretty, pretty awful character. I don't know. Like not awful. Like oh, he's so bad. Like awful. Like what's up with this guy? I, I, I it was very inconsistently drawn, and I didn't know if I was supposed to be sympathizing with what has happened to him or if I really should be regarding him as an actual villain. Yeah. I mean, I had a hard time just kind of parsing like how his plot, you know, what's going on with him, you know, like, cause it's told through like flashbacks and like, you know, cross, you know, like simultaneous stories. And I had a really hard time. Like, who is this guy? Like, I just want a clear indication of who he is and what he wants. And so like, I guess the idea is, right, this guy got cancer, so he went to this guy, Don Anselmo, who is this, like, old man who randomly, halfway through the story, turns into a giant serpent that then, like, tears itself in half and he becomes, like, a young man again. Uh, Did I hallucinate this scene? No, that sounds about right. Okay, so he goes to Don Anselmo, and then Don Anselmo... I I think it's Anselmo. Anselmo. Okay. All right. Sorry. Uh, and I'm busting out my Latino, my right. Latino. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm not culturally. Uh, uh, you uh, you live in Southern California. Come on. I know. I need to be doing a better job. But we lo- we call uh, uh, Los Feliz Los Feliz. So okay, there so, you go. So, so you got to give me a break. Okay. Um. So anyway, so then he sent to Cuba, um, to see Babalu, who is like this. Uh, Orisha of a healing. So he's like a god of healing or something like that. Yeah, and not the Ricky Ricardo song. Yes, yes. Not the Ricky Ricardo song. Yeah. Um, and there he hears this voice, which we find out in the final, uh, the final issue. He hears this voice, which he mistakes for like God or Jesus and decides to devote his life to him where he returns to New York Gets into a fight with like a homeless man who then stabs him to death. And then he is taken to a morgue, has his insides removed, is buried, and then crawls his way out of this grave to spend time with his family. And then this is where it totally loses me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At this point, it totally loses me. This is where I'm lost. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is like so okay, so what is he? Is he this guy who thinks he's doing like the work of God um through whatever means necessary, which means like killing his own father, uh, uh, uh curing a blind girl and giving her sight, um causing a bus driver to intentionally crash a bus, like what is this guy doing? Do, do you have a sense? Like, did you think he was still Julio acting this way through some, like, I guess, like, mind control? Or was he this 
god whose name we never find out, which I found so frustrating. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just this guy, this demon. You'll, don't, don't pay any attention to who or what it is or what his intentions are. That'll never be resolved. Uh, who's the what's the where's are irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, okay, so I've been rambling. Mark, what did you take away from all this? Like, are you equally lost as I am? No, I, you're you're absolutely right. And again, like, I, I, I struggled to figure out what I was supposed to be feeling for this character. Because, you know, in, in some sequences, he's this family man that, you know that bad stuff has happened to and he's not the Julio we know, but then like, you know, we're, we're under the impression that there's these larger things at stake and, and, and he clearly made some kind of Faustian deal here. So like you can't feel too bad for him, whatever. I, I, it's very unclear. It's very, I don't want to say inconsistent, but like there's no through line to any of this. It's just, it's, 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 it's word salad. In, or or character salad is that is that a phrase I don't know but that's um, I like you know. it I like yeah. it <laughs> um, I mean and and the whole thing is premised on this mystery of like who is this guy you know like what is wrong with him like you're gonna keep reading to figure out like what is going on with Julio and then and we why get- I was just gonna say and then like you know the big question too is why is why is Spider-Man or Peter even involved in this? I mean, outside of the of the 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 Parker Foundation, Parker Industry, Uncle Ben Foundation thing. I mean, why why is he so invested in this? We really don't know, right? And wh- and why do people allow him into it? Like, there's a scene in the first issue where he goes to the morgue and wants to inspect this body, and it's like, who are you? You're just a businessman. Like, what right do you have to come? And yet, and yet, you know, like the the mortician's like, yeah, come on in. Like, you know, like why? Don't, I do this all the time. <laughs> do you want to get wrist deep in guts? Let's do it. You know, like. <laughs> Get ready, man. Oh, you know, for, forget the surgical gloves. Just reach in. You know, like, let's just go. This evidence is tainted, tainted anyway. <laughs> is this what Bill Gates does in his free time? He just goes into morgues and, and wades through body parts? I, 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 can't, I can't even fathom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, so let's talk about the – can we talk about the final sequence? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about the final sequence. Um, I, I kind of, I don't want to say I liked it because that's a strong word. <laughs> Likes a strong <laughs> word. I was intrigued by it because I, I did like this kind of dichotomy that they set up in, you know, Peter is, is in staying true to his ways you know, always wants to try and find the way to say to to save the day and defeat the villain, but without causing irreversible harm. And one of the Santorians whose name flies over my head at the moment, you know, he he, he cracks the guy, he cracks Julio's neck and kills him. And that, of course, enrages Peter. And then he's just like, you know, you got to live with this on your conscience. And the guy's just like the guy, you know, Julio. Julio was alive only in body. His his soul was already gone. And like that's kind of interesting to me because it's like that does kind of put a twist on the usual kind of Spider-Man morality tale. I mean, it's like, you know, 
yeah, you know, do no harm. But in the case of this, where it's kind of like almost like you're fighting a zombie. I mean, you know, if if it's Spider-Man and the Walking Dead, is he not going to jab a arrow through the head of a of a walker? You know what I mean? Are we like, going to get the swinging dead? Is that is that on yeah. your book? Oh, but, you know, let's see if Kirkman can not criticize Marvel for three seconds and and work with that on somebody. Which you is know? funny coming from a guy that loves Spider-Man as much as he does. I know, I know. Well, you know. Um, but, but, like, I mean, am I, again, am I, like, overstating the interestingness, interestingnessnessness? I don't know if that's a word. Um, of that twist or, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just kind of like that it, it raised a question and I felt like the way it was raised actually I bought into Peter having to think about that. It is an intriguing wrinkle. And I, I, I think overall this story does inter- introduce a number of intriguing wrinkles. You know, like you said, yes, he's experienced mysticism before. But like, you know, I think it's like issue three or four where like Julio is performing miracles and Peter knows that there's something wrong with this guy. But like, should he act? You know, like... Should he allow this guy to continue deceiving people if if it means we're getting people cured of their blindness? Um, there's a, there's several interesting wrinkles in this. It's just none of it is enough to hang a six issue series on. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, what did you think of the very final moment of this book with Peter uh, uh, like going to church at the end? Um, what did you take away from that? Well. Again, I, I would be more interested in this if I felt it had any kind of staying power. You know, are we going to like get and then, you know, is are we going to have a scene in Dead No More where, you know, in, in the Dan Slot series of Peter in a church? I doubt it. So, again, like why, it's it's like I said, coming off the heels of Julio's death and, and kind of the dilemma presented to Peter, having him be like, all right, let me let me let me let me lay it on you, Father. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, all right, I buy I buy that he'd be doing this, but after that, this is this is going to be forgotten. I hate to be so cynical, but right? I mean, what's what's to come after this? So, what's the point? Yeah, and I think it's undermined by the, like the fact that like you know this is not going to become can. This is not really canon. I mean, I'm sure it is technically canon. You know, but like the very fact that this story botches the timeline of Uncle Ben's death, like means people aren't going to really take this thing seriously. You, you, you know what I you mean? mean? You mean his time of death wasn't at the at the hospital? No, uh, it, yeah. was not. it was not at the hospital, Mark. And 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 that stuff's annoying. What, what's it, next? The burglar was looking for buried treasure. Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the buried treasure thing, like technically could work yes it's stupid but that doesn't mean you know that it doesn't that it doesn't work you know like it's just a hair off from he was robbing their house you know making that the thing he was trying to rob from them was pirate's treasure or whatever is dumb but like it's 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 conceivable in the same way that yes technically peter's parents could be shield spies uh it's dumb but you know it could happen here. Like Peter came into the house. Uncle Ben was dead. Like they didn't resuscitate him and then take him to the hospital and then pronounce his time of death. 
No. You know, so... Uh, I mean, have you read Amazing Fantasy 15? You know, it's only the holy grail when you're writing a Spider-Man story. Ah, come on. <laughs> yeah, write that, that piece of toilet paper. <laughs> come on. I got, I got the best origin stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Um, let's talk art because I wasn't a big fan of it. <laughs> I wasn't either. Um, I mean, I think... There's kind of like an interesting like painterly watercolor ink wash quality that sets it aside to look unique. Yeah, the colors are fun. Yeah. But the actual illustrations, the pencils, I felt like it was very overly stylized. And then, you know, having kind of the different artists come in at various points of this series with a more kind of traditional style didn't do it for me. You know what I mean? Like it, it just it this kind of looked like a tonal clash of artistic styles to me i think everything in it was inconsistent you know like even like simone bianchi like he's an interesting artist but like from page to page it looked like a wildly different book i felt um you know the, the, some really harsh blues and reds in some places and I, I don't know um and another thing is i thought his artwork was really cramped like he would try to fit in so much detail like a ross andrew level of detail but with like really bold line work to the point that you can't discern what he's drawing at a certain point in these kind of big splashy pages with the santarians in it i keep wanting to say like santana uh sorry that's my my smooth and early all right very good very nice uh uh we might we'll have to come back to that later but uh uh, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like his artwork was very cramped to the point of becoming, like, difficult to, like, discernibly read. Sure. Any other thoughts on this thing? Um, I guess my biggest – I haven't really gotten to my – like, one of my biggest complaints is just how the book read scene by scene. I think this book had some of the, like, most, like, harsh scene transitions like I've read in a, in a book in quite a while, which coming from you is pretty bad, Mister Transition. Yeah, no. Look, I'm a terrible at transitioning, but like, we have a scene where Spider-Man meets the Santana Aryans uh, for the first time, and then like that's the big cliffhanger, and we come back to the second issue, and they're like chasing chickens, and then that's it. That's the scene. Is they're chasing chickens with dogs and. Then cut to something else. And then there's another moment in the second issue where, like, Peter is, like, talking to them again about, like, where he needs to go to meet Don Anselmo. And, uh... uh, Don Anselmo. Yes. Okay. And it, like, cuts back and forth between, like, Peter, like, flipping around outside of his airplane... And, like, skydiving with another person. And I was like, what is going on here? And there were so many times in this book where I was just like, I can't make out what happened between panels. Like, even in the final battle, there's a moment where, like, Peter is talking to, like, Uncle Ben. And then the next panel, he's, like, flipping outside of, like, this sanctuary with a gargoyle. And it's like, I guess Uncle Ben's gone. He looked really real to me. And I was like, what happened? What just happened? Uh, I don't know. That was my that's my rea- reaction of me reading this comic is just complete and utter befuddlement. All right, you want to give it a grade? The yeah, whole let's thing? Do it. Yeah. 
I'm going to give it a D minus. All right. I'm going to go a couple of notches above you and say D plus. Okay. All right. So not It happened. Great. So speaking of transitions, let's see you transition us to the next part, Dan. We're going to go into comments and emails. That was great. Thanks. All right. You've heard the song from the 90s animated show. So that must mean it's comments and emails time. Wait, is that the song we use for that segment, Dan? I think it is, Mark. That means you're starting to watch the 90s animated show. Well, no, I knew that anyway. I, I, I was a kid in the 90s. Well, a, a young teenager in the 90s. So I remember that being on. I didn't watch the show, though. Sorry, John Semper. Um, but I might be watching it soon, finally, because, you know, I'm crawling out of a hole. Anyway, we love your comments and emails. Uh, where can you email at us, you say? How about at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com? Or you could tweet at Dan or myself on Twitter and hashtag it OK to print. Or leave us a voicemail at 9RedGoblin. Speaking of which, I don't know what to make of this first voicemail, Dan. Why don't we play it? Hello, Mark and Dan. It is I, the Red Goblin. You have sullied my name for long enough by stealing my voicemail line. I have tried again and again to extract vengeance by killing Mark's Uncle Ben, but even the pretty goblin failed me. But I will succeed. I will end this conspiracy, and this number will be mine. Long live the red goblin. Oh. Well, that was creepy. Yes, it was. I don't know the identity of the Red Goblin. Uh, and I, I dare say I hope he calls back in again. But the Red Goblin is now officially a thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe the, the Red Goblin can give us a, a, a podcast bumper. Yeah, or the Red Goblin can keep d- teasing us with clues to his identity yes. until we can all guess who he is. It's Norman Osborn with face transplant surgery. I certainly hope not. It's the most obvious solution. <laughs> you mean it wasn't Baxter Stockman or whatever his name was? Baxter Stockman? What are you, mixing up Ninja Turtles now? Yeah, yeah, because I forgot what the name of the character that Norman Osborn was masquerading as. Right, right, right. Sorry. Oh, uh... I almost said Miles Davis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a real twist. <laughs> not, not only is he Norman Osborn, but he gave birth to cool jazz. There you uh, go. There you go. All right. Well, we thank you, Red Goblin, for calling in. That was certainly interesting. And I, I yeah. guess I hope you come back soon. I hope you threaten us again soon. Uh, here's a second uh, voicemail, which deals with uh, something we brought up last episode, Dan. It's your friendly neighborhood contributor, Kane, here. I was just listening to the Black Cat Essentials podcast, and Mark was calling out for people to clarify the whole Black Cat ripoff thing. Uh, Now, this, too, is somewhat murky in my recollection, 
But I think the official line is that while yes, black cat, or I'm sorry, while yes, the Catwoman predates the black cat, um, the, the, the personality and the, the, the persona of this, you know, morally gray kind of cat burglar type that's flirtatious with the main lead, I think that was unique to, uh, black cat. And then later, once uh, DC saw that character kind of take off, they they retroactively applied that personality to uh, Selena Kyle. Uh, I'm not entirely sure on what what the time frame is. Um, certainly before the uh, the was 92 Batman Forever movie, but um, yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure that's what the line is, but uh, if someone else, you know, knows better, then uh, I guess they can feel free to follow me up. Anyway, uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Kane. Um, so, Kane, you're like I think halfway right. So, in in the interlude between our, our last few recordings, I actually. I've been doing uh, some research for uh, a project I'm working on that I will have more details for at some point in probably a couple of months. Um, but um, in the in the interim, let me just say that one of the things about the black cat, and this is what I think was meant to distinguish her from Catwoman, was um, in the original pitch for Black Cat for Felicia Hardy, she was actually meant to be a Spider Woman villain. And the look that she got had, was not the look she was going to get. She was almost going to be like kind of like a 50s style villainess, like a Hydra style villainess with a long dress and, a, and a, like a, not a top hat, but like a, a, a big, big floppy hat kind of a thing. And um, basically um, <clears throat> the editors of, Sp- of Spider-Woman were kind of like, eh, let's just throw her in Spider-Man and make her a love interest. And that was how she got kind of transformed. So, she, so like the original characterization was not meant to be based off of Catwoman, but they kind of just evolved her into that after a while. Do you know if there's any truth to his claims of of Catwoman then taking cues from Black Cat? Um, probably possibly in the comics, but you got to remember. I mean you were still dealing with like the Batman 66 series with, you know, the multiple Catwoman actresses and they were all very flirty and whatnot with the Batman character. I mean, I don't think that was really a thing in the comics, uh, until more modern times, but, um, you can't, you can't say like it was completely like a new concept to have a feline themed character. Um, so like there's some truth to it. And I, I shouldn't say there's some truth to it. There's some accuracy to it. But the accuracy was more like the character wasn't originally conceived as that. And then they just kind of like decided she'd be far more interesting as a love interest for Spider-Man. So, Mark, last week you went on vacation up to Montreal. And fittingly, we got an email from one of our uh, our favorite fans in Montreal from Jason. And uh, he sent us an email. So, Mark, why don't you read that email? Yeah, he writes, uh, Dan Mark, after reading Spider-Woman number nine, I just wanted to calm your fears and state for the record that no one I know has ever, has even turned into a Wendigo from eating Canadian smoked meat. In fact, Montreal is known for smoked meat and bagels. You definitely owe it to yourself to try it once unless you're vegan. 
Great podcast as always. You guys do an amazing job talking everything Spidey, and I look forward to your shows every week. And that's Jason Carrier. Is that how we say it? That's kind of French sounding, right? Yeah, like Montreal absolutely. French. So did you try any of this smoked meat that could possibly I, turn you I, into a Wendigo? I absolutely did. Um, I went to Schwartz's Deli. Jason, I'm, I'm giving you places now. Um, I also had some Canadian Montreal bagels at Fairmont Bagels over in Mile End neighborhood. Uh, Mile End is actually great. I went to um, the um, Drawn and Quarterly store. Are you familiar with Drawn and Quarterly, Dan? Uh, well, I know I know the process of drawing and quartering someone, but but not this particular place. No, this is they're they're an independent graphic novel publisher. They do oh. they they put out a lot of stuff that makes it stateside, but apparently they're headquartered in Montreal in this neighborhood. Um, so I went into their their really awesome bookstore, picked up some some Canadian comics, and um, you know I mean they don't have any mainstream stuff. It's all. Very independent. Um, did you but, get uh, the Canadian Todd McFarlane covered Spider-Man? They did not have mainstream comics, Dan. Oh, I, I, I assure you. I assure you. Um, <laughs> now, I let look. me ask you: Did you break? Did you break your like oath or uh, uh, of hatred towards Canadian bacon? Did you have Canadian bacon? I did not have Canadian bacon. Oh, good. So at least yeah. you're still an honest man. Yeah, but the smoked meat's good. I kind of I, – I went looking for smoked meat. The other thing I had for the first time was poutine. Oh, you've never had poutine. I got to tell you, Dan, you would think French fries, gravy, cheese curds, that it'd be made for me. Eh. You didn't have good poutine then, man. I don't know. I went to this really awesome beer bar, and I guess the gravy was made with some of the beer. So I thought it would be good. The beer was great. Poutine was there. The cheeseburger I had with it was great. But the poutine was there. That's sorry, man. I mean, I would say you should eat more poutine just to find good poutine. But I also don't want you to die of heart disease. So I'm not going to wish you eating too much poutine. Yeah, but... um but yeah, so Jason duly noted that the smoked meat's great. The bagels, here. Okay, <clears throat> Dan, I know you like your New York bagels, so I'm I not adore about, them. I adore I'm, them. I'm not about to say anything outrageous. I love my New York bagels. They are the best bagels in the world. Montreal bagels are good in their own way. Okay, like they're the best non-New York bagels I've ever had. Mark, I'm so glad when you came out to LA that we didn't get LA bagels because they are garbage. Right. No. Hell no. Come no. on. Yeah, you don't just you just don't do that. No, we don't do that. Ugh. I did get I did get um some brick oven pizza in Montreal my last night. And it wasn't bad, but we were kind of like burned out on all of like both the the street food and then like some of the fancier French food we were eating. So we were like the last night like, "Ah, let's do something simple." There was like this bar that sold like brick oven pizzas and stuff. It was fine, but Montreal is not known for pizza, unless I'm wrong, unless someone's going to write in and tell me it's not. Uh, this has been the amazing food talk. Thanks for listening. Yes. All right. Why don't we? <laughs> why don't we talk about some spider news? Yes. Let's do that. Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches feet just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. All right, Dan. Well, you know, while we were uh, out not having podcasts, there was that thing called 
Comic Con that happened. And I know. didn't go. I, I, I'm really ashamed I didn't go. I lived two hours away, and I was a jerk this year and was just like, eh, I don't need to go, and I immediately regretted it. Well, I get what you're saying, but I don't know if I, don't know if I was in your position if I'd be in a rush to go either. I mean, Comic-Con's, yeah. a, bit, Comic-Con's a bit of a sea of humanity. So, but, but, you know, we, we got some, some news about comics and movies and casting and stuff. Why don't you take us through a couple of them? Sure, yeah. Well, the first one, you know, there was this titles leak. Uh, of all the new Marvel Now Now uh, right. uh, titles, and there was actually some really interesting Spider-Man related titles. Um, I guess more ancillary, it, the first one is a new Venom series that sees Venom returning from space. Which I don't know about you, Mark, but thank God, uh, what well, just does not seem, from, to me at least, to be where the character and especially Flash Thompson need to be. Yeah, it was it was pretty dreadful, but um, but yeah, no, and, and it looks like it's going to be a new person in the suit, and they kind of made a lethal protector um, reference in the in the solicitation. Um, I'm intrigued by this. Are we going to get? But then again, are we going to get brain eating venom again? Yeah, I don't know, but the, it looks like the original venom suit, you know, and we've seen every new owner of the costume. You know, it has a different looking suit. So, I, you know, I think it's intended to make you think that it's Eddie Brock back in the suit. Would you be excited to read an Eddie Brock Venom book? I'll give it a try. I'll, yeah. give, it a few, uh, I'll give it a few issues to determine if this is a thing or not. Sure, sure. And then the next thing was we got this cover reveal for the new Spider-Gwen and the new uh, Spider-Man with Miles Morales books. And both of them showed, I guess, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, Gwen and Miles kissing, which kind of created this minor internet uproar about how appropriate that is. You know, I don't want to get into why people felt that way, although you could probably, mostly what I've heard was people being like, aren't, isn't like Miles like 16 and Gwen like 20 something? Um, I don't know. How old do you think those characters are, Mark? Um... <clears throat> well, I'm in, I'm under the impression that Gwen is like freshly in college. Yeah, so like 18, 18, 18. Yeah, I mean it's. <clears throat> I didn't even think about the age. I was gonna make the crack about what you mean for the fact that they're from different Earths. I mean, you know, like there's that. <clears throat> yeah, to, to me, and we don't know if this is gonna be a relationship or what, um, or it could just be that like like the uh, the Thor and Cap cover where they were kissing, right. Uh, Thing. I don't think it's going to be that because there's two covers with it on it, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of like that these characters get to exist in their own kind of like cast of characters. I don't know how I feel about them. You know, Spider-Gwen, I like that she kind of very, you know, like infrequently meets up with other people. But to have an interdimensional boyfriend, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, um, I mean <clears> – <throat> You know, and I mean, and not for nothing. I mean, with with Spider Gwen, I feel like Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez have been kind of adamant about romance being really not part of the mythology. You know what I mean? Which is, yeah. you know, I think, and I think they took a stand about that in primarily because of how Gwen from Six One Six was, you know, just a, a a love, a you know, a love interest. You know what I mean? Like they they they. So, yeah, it does strike me as a little odd that that would be the direction they're going, especially since 
I mean, Robbie's going to be off the book by this point, right? Well, I think the rumors of his departure were uh, a, a bit hasty. Um, okay. We know he's going to be around for a, a, a while. And, uh, and Jason Latour said in many interviews that, like, he's not heard anything about Robbie leaving. So, you know, Robbie's a little dramatic. So I, I, I don't think that he's really leaving the book all that soon. Okay. Uh, then, then I don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, I guess in the in the surprise, oh, they're actually doing this uh, department. I, I uh, was really surprised by this one. We got a Prowler series. What? By Sean, <laughs> and Sean Ryan and Jamal Campbell. I mean, okay. Uh, the cover is even more intriguing. It's got Prowler burying another Prowler, um, and that's certainly intriguing. And, uh, you know, there's been some solicits about upcoming Spidey issues involving prowler um and there being like a mole in parker industries again um and the idea that prowler is bearing another prowler makes me suspect that perhaps the prowler that we've been reading about in the amazing spider-man proper is already a clone and uh that we'll see him sabotaging parker industries only for the real prowler to stand up in dead no more and reclaim his throne and launch this series that's just my hypothesis uh you can see how wrong i am and we'll i guess revisit this but i'm really intrigued what does a prowler series look like i don't know dan i mean i'll give this i'll give this a one or two issue test but if they don't hook me quick i i I don't know anything about these creators either yeah Uh, me neither like so we'll see because you know there was that that Morbius series a few years ago, which was, you know, pretty dreadful, a crime against humanity. Oh no, that's too far. But you know what I mean? It wasn't great. Uh, Uh, I guess we're saving the biggest surprise for last Mark. What would that be? Yeah. And this, and this is probably the highest profile. Well, Gwen and Miles is pretty high profile, but I mean, so the last thing is going to be an amazing Spider-Man renew your vows ongoing by Jerry Conway and Ryan Stegman. And, you know, with all due respect to Ryan Stegman, I have a feeling that, you know, he'll probably be around for the first few issues. And that seems to be his his M.O. is he does like the first two or three issues of a series and then disappears. Um, but um, is, but Jerry is, Conway- is this book officially more high profile than Amazing Spider-Man proper? I don't know about that. But, um, you know, I guess we're going to take off with the... Um, the alternative universe where Renew Your Vows takes place and keep following the Parkers and Annie and Mary Jane. And, um, I mean, you know, the, the cover image by Stegman looks like a lot of fun. And you got Jerry Conway writing, writing Spider-Man again, writing a married Spider-Man, which he hasn't done since the 90s. Um, I mean, Jerry Conway, man, like... It just it kind of cracks me up. Like I we, we we first spoke to him a couple of years ago on the show around the time Amazing Spider-Man Two was coming out in the theaters, and at that point he was really just kind of on the periphery. And in that time, he like he did the he did Spiral, and then all of a sudden he's doing Carnage, and now it's like he's he's right back in the catbird seat again. This guy, this is his third big stint on a Spider-Man ongoing book. I mean, that's pretty cool. I'll be really intrigued to see how this book sells. Like, could you imagine if this book outsells 
Amazing Spider-Man proper. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point, Dan. Like, what does that mean? Do they do they think to themselves, like, okay, you know, we're giving them the Mary Jane, the Mary, because like, this way you get your married Peter Parker back. But like, what happens when, like, or if this book outsells Amazing Spider-Man? <laughs> I'm just shaking my head. I know no one can see that right now, but that's that's a that's I didn't even I didn't even consider that, which it's shame on me. But that's a very interesting point, Dan. Yeah, I don't know what that would mean, but it's something that I th- thought about the minute this because because those renew your vows books outsold they sold so well, like over a hundred thousand copies every issue. I think. Yeah. Like, at, the Amazing Spider-Man book right now would kill to be selling that well. I'd be curious if the draw of Mary Jane and an artist like Stegman, who's become you know pretty high profile, especially in the Spider-Man community, I think there's a lot of people that really liked his work. From yeah, Superior. no, yeah. Stegman was of the Superior Group. He was my favorite of the artists. I mean, I'm I'm very happy. I mean, I I made the crack in the beginning about him probably only doing a few issues, but I hope it's a thing for him because I love his artwork in Spider-Man. I think it's 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 very McFarlane-esque, which I'm not ashamed to admit is like my like among my favorite kind of interpretations of Spider-Man. And I've been uh, reading his Uncanny Avengers, and it's good, but it just feels like a really bad fit for him. You know, like yeah. Spider-Man is the world he should be in. Yeah. And I guess and, they understand that. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm just really happy for Jerry because it's just like I feel like this guy is kind of keeps reinventing himself in all these different forms. And, and like this is a pretty, you know, like you said, it. This book has potential to sell. This is a pretty high-profile gig. This isn't like a sidebar series or, um, you know, a Carnage series. Not that I, I like what Jerry's doing with Carnage, but you know what I mean. Like this is, you know, there's going to be a lot of eyes on this book. So good, good for him, and, and good to get Ryan back in the fold. I'm excited to read this. Yeah, me too. Me too. So that's going to be this fall, I imagine. We'll start seeing those titles alongside the Clone Conspiracy. Which means I guess we're going to have like three amazing Spider-Man title books going simultaneously. And Mark, you and I are going to have to figure out how the hell we're going to cover that. Yay! Yay! <laughs> All right, so the next bit of news is not yeah. comics related. Yeah, it's, um, an exclu- it's a superior Spider-Talk exclusive. It is an exclusive to us. Uh, and it's that uh, – and I, I can't reveal my source – uh, but at an exclusive screening of the film Little Men, um, this film that comes actually out actually this weekend, I'm very excited to see it. If you're listening to this now, it's out in theaters now, and you should go check it out. Um, the lead actor is this actor named Michael Barbieri, who we've known is going to be in the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming series. But even now, we still don't know what his role in that series is. And the director of Little Men, this wonderful director named Ira Sachs, um, he let slip that uh, Michael Barbieri will be playing Spider-Man's best friend. Now take, take from that what you will, but um, I think the obvious guess is that he's playing Harry Osborn. Um, Mark, your thoughts? I, I agree. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know anything about this actor. I'm not. I, I so I, I trust you if you say he's great. 
You know, we, real, we, like, uh, we, we, we seem to agree on film stuff all the time. Oh, yeah, right. Well, he's none of the time. This guy, if you, I mean, he's a kid, but if you watch him in this movie, he's got real, like, um, I mean, I, I mean, I think immediate star potential. He reminds, he's got the charisma of like an Al Pacino, like just instant charisma. You just can't peel your eyes off this kid. So, that, so with that in mind, can you see him playing like a Harry Osborn? Does a- he have absolutely. like, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Then, There's like, a, I, you know, it's like Al Pacino. There's like a, a kind of a darker side to, okay. to this kid. Um, and, a, and a real intensity, uh, the, in, in the movie, he's this young actor, I guess he's a young actor in real life. And there's this wonderful scene between him and his acting coach where they're kind of like pushing back against each other. And if, I'll include a link to it in uh, our show notes because you can watch it online. Um, but, I mean, this kid, I can't wait to see you know, him in a bunch of other movies. And so, yeah, check out Little Men if you're curious because uh, it's a wonderful film. And, uh, and you'll get a, a first glimpse at Michael Barbieri, quote-unquote, Spider-Man's best friend, whatever that means. Um, I think we all know what that means. Right on. Um, so uh, this is just a quick sidebar. This story kind of like blew up and then shrunk back down again. But uh, Giuseppe Comancoli, uh, who was originally scheduled to be uh, penciling Amazing Spider-Man's number 17 and 18, will not be doing that for two issues. It's going to be R.B. Silva filling in. It did look like for like a half a moment that he was leaving the book, but that's not true, right, Dan? Yeah, uh, I got a lot of posts on our article that were like, I can't wait for Dan Slot to leave, too. And I was like, uh, guys, sorry, but um, actually nobody is leaving. He's just taking... It was just a very weirdly phrased press release saying that Common Coley will be leaving the book. Like, And so everybody thought, oh, okay, he's leaving the book for good. And then they were like, uh, you know, Nick Lowe had to kind of tweet that, no, he's just taking two issues off. He is the ongoing artist for this book so you know like he, he'll be he's just gearing up for issue 19 which is the start of dead no more so all right i'm about uh, to ki- i'm about to i'm about to kick a man when he's down you're telling me that there was an editing snafu with something that came from the spider office okay okay <laughs> okay yes yes there was wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> um so uh then I know you didn't go to San Diego Comic-Con, but it does sound like um, we got some illust- – it was like kind of like renderings almost of uh, what the Vulture is going to look like in the new Spidey film. Yeah. I mean there have been early rumors that the Tinkerer is in the film, and I think that certainly like plays into the design of this Vulture, which is so much more mechanical looking than I would have thought. He's kind of got uh, like helicarrier lifts in his wings. Mark, is that how you would describe them? Sure. Yeah, and he's got these kind of like giant feet talons that are like these kind of like grabby mechanical things. I mean, this is the same universe where Iron Man is kind of the center of everything. So it makes sense to me that he's kind of got like his own sort of Iron Man armor that's vulture themed. Um, so yeah, we got a good look at what the vulture looks like. And, um, if you go to our website, we have a description. They showed several minutes of the film and we have a very detailed description up of what that looks like. Even though I haven't seen it, I have it on good word. You know, this is a good description of it. And, uh, there was no one who was kicking themselves harder than me for not going to San Diego Comic-Con that I didn't get to see this footage. So, well... There you go. 
All right. And um, one last little bit. We're going to get a Miles Morales young adult novel written by writer Jason Reynolds. Uh, that's notable because he's going to be written by a person of color, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, you don't get a lot of viewpoints into Miles' mind in Bendis' series. And, uh, you know, Bendis has kind of been criticized for going and, you know, tackling race in this recent series. So, I, personally, I, I think it would be interesting to to see, you know, uh, a person of color, you know, writing Miles' story. It's a young adult novel, so I don't know that I'll be reading it. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, they got this kind of like award-winning writer, Jason Reynolds, to, to write the book. Um, All right. And why don't you wrap up some of the current casting roles? Yeah, we, we, we have an article that breaks us down on the site, but uh, we learned, you know, the cast for this movie grows every single day, but we learned actually who is playing who. And we found out that Zendaya Coleman is playing Michelle Gonzalez, of all people. All right. Um, Tony Revolori, who I'm a big fan of, um, is playing Flash Thompson. Um, Laura Harrier is playing Liz Allen. And uh, Jacob Badalon, is, who is a new actor that's never been in anything before, is playing Ned Leeds. Um, so that's certainly interesting. And then there was this, you know, uh, this press statement from Kevin Feige that said that they're going to be um, doing the Spider-Man series like the Harry Potter series, where each movie follows another year in high school. So I wonder, and this was not made official, if it's going to be annual like Harry Potter was, where every year we get a new Spider-Man movie, and uh, and it just follows this cast growing up. I don't know. That would be really exciting for me. You know, that's you... exciting, but that's gonna be tough to pull off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But I mean, Harry Potter did it. Yeah, but they were able to kind of like they had that whole storyline mapped out, and they were able to kind of go one after the other. I mean... That's true. That's true. Um, um, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to throw cold water on that, but, I mean, I just... I don't know how the hell they're gonna have three to four years worth of stories mapped out. I just don't know that I want to see, like, another 24-year-old playing an 18-year-old. No, I agree. I I don't... I mean, let's see what happens, but... It's definitely intriguing. As long as they don't have, like, Ralph Macchio from Karate Kid 3 trying to be, like, 17 still. (laughs) Mr. Miyagi. (laughs) Anyway. All right, let's take this thing home. Yeah. All right, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a review. I also wanted to announce um, that all of our new and old podcasts are finding their way onto YouTube. And as of right now, I've put up all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts there, complete with all the awesome images that we include in every show. You know, so everything's on our YouTube channel. So just search for Amazing Spider Talk and hit subscribe, and you can listen to your favorite podcast from that way from now on if that's really convenient for you. So YouTube is going to have every episode of our show in the coming week. Awesome. And additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, if you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy and I guess their upcoming relationship. Yeah, that'll be interesting. It's like that relationship was tailor-made for that podcast. (laughs) 
Yeah, and also be sure to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. That's our club that keeps our podcast going. It's only through donors like you guys, listeners that are so passionate about our show, that keep us going. It costs a lot of money and time to keep this going, so we really thank you guys. And for signing up, you can sign up through the links in our show notes but you get all kinds of amazing prizes and you listen to our members only podcasts and you know you just keep us going which which you know we we desperately need so uh thank you so much and i hope you'll check it out yeah next week we'll be discussing our next essentials pick uh it's going to be my choice dan and we're going to be reading and discussing the biggest spider event of them all spider manhattan no that was a working title for this book. It's Spider Island by Dan Slott and Humberto Ramos. I'm serious. They, he, we wanted to call it Spider Manhattan. And <laughs> the editors were like, no, no, Dan. What was it? Uh, Peter, Peter Parked Car? Peter Parked Car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so be sure to, to read that title and join us next week. Uh, now, Dan, Mark, we're, are we going to be covering all of the tie-ins to that series? No, we're, we're going to, I mean, uh, we'll talk the prologue and the epilogue issues, but so we're talking like 666 to, what is that, 683, I think is the last, 673. Whoa, that would have been a really long series. That would have been maximum carnage. Carnage, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, we're not going to, you know, hey, of, of, the, of the offshoots, I would totally recommend, like, the Cloak and Dagger series and the Spider Island Avengers one-shot. Um, I recommend good. Venom. Uh, and Venom. You're it's right. It's kind of essential to the read. You kind of have to read Venom. Right. Okay. So now, now you're making me into – I didn't read Venom for the episode. I hope that's okay. It's all right. I'll let it I, go. I remember what happens. <laughs> I was there. All right, Mark. Well, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, well <laughs> – you know, my, my, my writing is slacking again, but... Uh, <laughs> For good reason. Well, we'll say there's a good reason why. Well, good reason, but, you know, I was also on vacation and stuff like that. But uh, SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, I did get a review of Carnage up, and I promise I am going to continue and finish uh, that, that Spider-Man versus other people's foes list. This is not going to be like Kevin Smith scripting the Black Cat story, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. what about you? Yeah, you can find me at the same place, superiorspidertalk.com, or on my Twitter handle at SupSpiderTalk. Um, and I, I'm always writing reviews on GrindMyReels.com. You can find out what I think about the latest big blockbuster movies. Um, I think I just put up a review of Ghostbusters. Uh, I guess it's not super timely, but you can see how I feel about that female-led reboot of uh, the classic 80s series. so uh, I, I haven't seen it, but I hate it. Yes, because women, right? Yeah. God. So, Mark, uh, last week, uh, you know, it's hard to forget that your Uncle Ben was murdered <laughs> right inside of your house by Gabriel. It's funny. I totally, for, I totally forgot that happened, but thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, I guess you just patched that hole up in the, in the wall right. and, and just forgot about it. Yeah. Um, well... I guess the repairs went well, but I hope the funeral was nice. Um, you know, I was sorry I wasn't able to attend, but, you know, despite your failing memory, I, I heard you delivered a moving eulogy for the man. Would you mind repeating some of it for our listeners who got to know him over the years? I guess really got to know him through his multiple deaths, but either way, feel some kind of connection to the man? 
Okay, Dan. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have my my notes in front of me that I read, so I might be paraphrasing. And keep in mind, this is also very highly emotional for me. It was from the uh, heart. It was from the heart. Yeah, it, was, it was totally from the heart. No, I mean, you know, like, you know, when I when I when I'm on the eulogy circuit, Dan, because you know I give the best eulogies. Um, so does Donald Trump. I know the best. I mean, I'm going to give you eulogies until you 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 fall asleep. That's how great they are. I heard he uh, was eulogizing his campaign this week. Oh come on, we're not getting political. Right. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I I I like to always kind of like give a funny anecdote and story. So you know, I think for this kind of sad you know sad occasion, marking the death of Uncle Ben. Um, I decided to talk about this time um, Uncle Ben and I went to Cuba. And, um, you know, it was this great story. We got we got a couple of like little funny hats and some cigars and some bongos. And we started to like, you know, do some Babaloo stuff. And um, all of a sudden, uh, 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 <laughs> thinking, thinking, thinking. Oh wait, no. Um, all of a sudden, the spirit of Ricky Ricardo showed up. He like materialized in front of my uncle Ben and said, "You can't do Babalu. You're not even a person of color. You know, you're not even Cuban. You're you're, you're totally ripping off my shtick." He took the bongo, he smashed it over Uncle Ben's head, and killed him. Now, prior, course, to, prior to his death. Prior to his death. This is the story I was telling at, uh, as part of his eulogy. And we all got a good laugh out of it. I mean, I, I remember Uncle Ben, when he was revived, he got a good laugh out of it. Um, and, and, and when he was revived, you know, he said, with great podcasts, Babaloo comes amazing spider talk. <laughs> <laughs>